few weeks ago, we had um, Valentine's Day, a day where people are thinking about their love, and I was thinking about a person that, <clears throat> somebody that I've observed that she talked about uh, him all the time, she um, bragged about him, she called him her bay before anyone else. She even sang a song to him. She did his bidding. He's like, who is that, her, her boyfriend? Her husband? No, it was God. Her bay, her before anyone else, this lady, it was observed that God was her bay. We're going to talk about that today, about Loving God being the greatest commandment. Loving God. All right, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Matthew 22, verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence... They were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So again, as you see here, we'll talk about today the greatest commandment. This, this whole passage started out with a question. Three questions, really, in this passage. You ever had perplexing questions that you felt like, I mean, how about when you're a kid? You're like, you always wondered, why is, you know, you had these certain questions that you couldn't get answered even maybe as you've gotten older. I have perplexing questions. Maybe, maybe you do too. Um, why do they call your first birthday one year after your birthday, as one person said? How about why do they call a driveway a driveway when you park in it and a parkway a parkway when you drive in it? You guys need to wake up a little bit here. How about... Um, when um, your nose runs and your feet smell, right? My nose runs and my feet smell. How come fat chance and slim chance mean the same thing? Fat chance, slim chance, they both mean the same thing, that something's not likely to happen. That's weird, isn't it? How about um, when you sing, take me out to the ball game and you're already there? <laughs> Why are we singing? We're here. You know? <laughs> and how come they call them donut holes? They're plugs, <laughs> right? The donut holes is in the other one. That's a hole. Anyways, these are questions I have, okay? you got to be thinking. So here's some perplexing questions, apparently, that people had with Jesus. In Matthew 22, honestly, they, uh, they had three groups of people that are wanting to ask Jesus questions. And, and I'll just tell you, in my study of this, the first two groups... 
Um, well, let, let's just look at it. There's three, three groups. We, we preached about one of them last week. The first group was the Herodians. They wanted to ask Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And, and the, really their intent was to frame him. And I won't preach that, what he said, but he answered them uh, discreetly or prudently. The next group that asked Jesus a question was the Sadducees. And that's what we preached about last week, about the reality of life after death. And so they, they asked Jesus a question again, and they were being snarky, and they, uh, they thought that uh, there was no such thing as conscientious life after death. And they, they had just a, a weird way of framing it with Jesus, saying, you know, all these men had married this one woman because they each died and she was passed along, which gets to have her as his wife when they die. Ha, 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 how's that going to work, Jesus, in the resurrection? And he answered them basically saying, well, they're not married in the next life and there is a resurrection. And so you had the Herodians ask a question that related to taxes. You had the Sadducees who don't believe, they're like, they're kind of like the liberals. You know, we have in, in Christianity, you have the, the conservatives and liberals, the right wing, left wing in the realm of evangelical Christianity. Uh, the Sadducees would be like the elite, kind of gigantic denominational leaders, but don't believe the inspiration of the Bible, don't believe the virgin birth. They deny certain miracles. That's how the Sadducees were. They're powerful, influential, but they didn't even believe really the Bible that they were toting around. And Jesus had to deal with them. That's those first two groups. And the third group, it says the, the Pharisees. Verse 14 says, The Pharisees had heard that Jesus had put the Sadducees to silence. And they thought, whoa, what's this? So let's give him a shot. We're going we're gonna to come together, this third group, the Sadducees. We're going to assemble around Jesus and try to challenge him with a question. And the Pharisees did that uh, more than once with Jesus. Now I want to tell you something. In this instance, if you were to compare this, par this passage right here, with the, the parallel passage in Mark chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 20, the guy that actually asks the question is called a scribe or a lawyer. He is sincere. He is actually a sincere uh, inquirer here. He's not, when it says he, tempt, he was tempting Jesus, it was meaning it in the best way. He was test driving him in a, like, is this guy going to show me the real values of God from the Old Testament? And so, in fact, you could run over to Mark 12. Jesus had complimented him, said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And he had this, uh, uh, seems to be a positive exchange with him. Matthew doesn't necessarily show him in that particular light. It just shows him he was asking the question. But my point is, is this. Jesus is being asked these questions, and this man sincerely wants to know about what's the greatest command. Now, some of us, we, some of us as, as Christians, we some, may not even think about this type of stuff. We're just like, oh, I'm saved, Jesus loves me, and be a good person. <laughs> what do I care? You know, listen, these Jews had the Old Testament. There was over 600 Mosaic commands, not Mosaic, mostly from Moses, 600 commands in the Old Testament. If we were still practicing our Old Testament, we would be like, whoa, okay, what did, what, 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 did I dress right? What day is it? Again, what did I eat? We'd have to be like, wait, what am I doing? There's over 600 commands. It'd have to waken us if we are still under the Old Testament dispensation. We're not. There's a reason why we're not. Jesus redeemed us, and we're in a new dispensation. We're under His blood covenant that He shed for us, not the ones of bulls and goats. But they were under that, 
And it was of God they were under that, and they needed to observe it. It's not to be dismissed. It's not to be thought of as frivolous. It's still the Word of God. They were under all these commands. Now, just follow me here. They were un- and they're, fo- they're in your Bible under inspiration of God. So they're under these o- over 600 commands in the Bible. This scribe wants to know, which is the biggest, what's the most important one? This lawyer asks, lawyer slash scribe. What's the most important one? I mean, you got different types of commands. You got moral commands, which is primarily what we see in the Ten Commandments. You got uh, ceremonial slash Levitical commands of stuff that's peculiar to what you're doing at the temple and washing and cleansing and checking the type of animal. You have those type of commands. And then you have some civil commands that pertain to their government. And by the way, some uh, governments throughout history have borrowed from Jewish wisdom, borrowing from some of their civil commands. Um, there's, there's, you know, like how to impose the death penalty and what to do if somebody steals, what happens when somebody damages somebody else's animal, how do you recompense them? And there's wisdom there. So there's different moral, uh, religious slash uh, ceremonial commands and then there's civil commands that pertain to their government and their, and their civil interaction. 600 of them. Commands ranging from thou shalt not kill, which is written in our conscience, to another type of command that says, you know, you, you shall not take a baby goat, boil him in his mother's milk, and eat him that way. Some of us are like, huh? I don't know, they like to do that. And it was sometime, somehow it was a form of cruelty in God's eyes. There's commands that seem to be that extreme to this seemingly frivolous to us, but it was still a command of God. It seemed to be cruel to take a, a little baby goat from his mother, take its mother's milk, boil them and eat them. It just seems kind of strange and cruel. God had different commands. Commands from, um, thou shalt keep the Sabbath. Keep the seventh day, rest on it rejoice in what God's uh, done for you and just trust Him for that day's provision. Keep the Sabbath to an all-another command that says, you know, when you have a flat-roof house, you don't just have a flat-roof house. You build a retainer wall so that when you're walking up around on the house, I think it was probably about this high. Did you know that it was in the Old Testament law? It was like in Deuteronomy. They had, if you had a flat-roof house, you had to have a retention wall so that a person, when they're walking around on there, they don't fall off that easy. That's one of God's laws. They had commands like that. They also had a command from, uh, you know, for do not steal to when you're to do not cut down a fruit tree when when your armies are around and they're besieging another city and they're going to take over the city. The fruit trees that are outside of the city don't cut them down. That's good stuff. It's fruit for you. It's, you need to eat it. That's in the law. So there's, my point is, is, there's all sorts of laws in the Bible. Some of them we as Americans can relate with. Some of them we cannot. We're like, oh, that's weird. But they're God's laws. They're God's word. And nothing is frivolous, but apparently something can be weighted heavier or lighter. Some that are light doesn't mean they're frivolous. So the man's saying, what's the big one? The word is, the Greek word is, what's the mega commandment? Megas. What's the mega one? Well, what's most paramount? Jesus doesn't say, before we say what he says, which you already, I think, know, let's recognize what Jesus doesn't say. 
the scribe comes running up to him, Lord, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus didn't say, what are you talking about? They're all the same. They're all the same. They're all, all commands are equal commands. He doesn't say that. Nor does he deny that that's any, that he, he, he doesn't deny like, oh, this isn't God's word, this is. Nor does he say, well, they're all equal. Did you know that Jesus in Matthew 5 says, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I'm not come to destroy the law of the prophets. Verily I say unto you, to heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle. Even the smallest uh, issue, the smallest mark, the smallest part of God's word. One jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus cared about every single command in the Bible. Watch this. The littlest one. So maybe we think not, you know, uh, uh, cutting down a fruit tree on the outside of a city when you're besieging it, we think that's frivolous or that's little. Um, Jesus would observe that if he was in that scenario. All the way to if he were to build his flat house, he would have had the retaining wall exactly how God's word said it. All the way to not killing, to not lying, to not bearing false witness, to not coveting. All of it, Jesus was fulfilled. The whole thing, he was going to fulfill it. He was going to fulfill it for us perfectly because to show His sinlessness and show that He's a perfect Lamb of God. But Jesus also said, Whosoever therefore shall uh, break one of these even... And He's talking to the Jewish men. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commands, saying that that's ah, nothing, and teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. My point is, is that there's all sorts of commands in the Bible we as Gentiles can't relate with all of them, but Jesus is saying they're all important, but yes, one is the greatest. And yes, there's a second greatest. And there's a reason why. There's priority, there's ranking, there's different weight. He says it's a love issue. Thou shalt love what it says there. Thou shalt love. When it comes to whatever's going to be the greatest command, which we, we should, I want to care, I care about, I hope you care about today, it revolves around one's love. What do you treasure? Thou shalt treasure this, your affections, your values. You know, when Jesus was asked, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Maybe they thought, maybe he's going to name one of the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. No graven images. Keep the Sabbath. Jesus didn't say that. You know, you can have where you're a person who, um, first of all, first, first of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Um, it was one of the things it was saying was that we're monotheistic. There's one God. A person can believe in one God and yet still not love God. The second commandment says you shall not have any graven images. Don't be trying to carve out little things, have relics and, and uh, uh, icons and statues and eliminate all these idols and stuff. A person can have, have an idolless life as far as I don't have statues, I don't have those cards. You know, I don't bow down to Mary and I don't do all this stuff and I don't have these things where I... Uh, have I pray to some carved out uh, saint, and, but still be heartless. You can be idolist, but still be heartless. 
Jesus didn't quote that. Jesus didn't say, thou shalt not take the name of your Lord thy God in vain, as if that was the greatest command. Why? Because a person can be, have reverent use of God's name and, and uh, try to act responsibly with it and yet still be passionless about God. Jesus didn't say the greatest command, the greatest thing you could do is to tithe or to honor your parents or to not kill or to not commit adultery or to not covet or to, or to, to tell the truth and not bear false witness. He never said those. He said, this is a love issue. Look in Deuteronomy. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.5. You can hold your place. Deuteronomy 6.5. I'm sorry, we'll do 6, 4, and 5. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, it says there, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy might. The book of Deuteronomy is called Deuteronomy because it means second law. Moses had been given the law in Exodus, Leviticus, and uh, uh, in Numbers. And now Deuteronomy is his second. He's saying it again. It's like his heart to heart with the nation before he dies. And he's saying, hey, uh, Israelis, we have the law. We have all these. We have our nice prescribed way that the Levites are going to do their thing, how our nation's going to run the moral commands, but listen, this is what God wants you to do. He just wants you to like Him. Do you love Him? Do you treasure Him? Do you treasure God? Do you delight in Him? Do you highly esteem Him? It's not just going to be about this. Don't ignore this, but do you love the Lord? Is He highly treasured? Do you hold Him dear? He says, that's what you need to do. Moses said the greatest command right here. He didn't say it once. He said it more than once. Let's go to Deuteronomy 10. My point is, is I'm trying to quote to you what Jesus had lifted up out of the crowd of all the laws and said, this is the biggest thing. And I'm showing you in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. That's Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. Now follow me to De Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11, 13 and 14. Deuteronomy 11, 13 and 14. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in His due season, the first and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thy oil, thine oil. Now follow me to one more passage in Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, verse 5 and 6. Deuteronomy 30, verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> it says there, And the Lord 
Thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it. And he will do thee good, and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, and the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. I, I believe that last verse, verse 6, is, a, is really prophetic of um, what happens when the Jews would accept, any person really now, would accept the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. The Bible talks about it as being your heart is circumcised. You're converted. You're a new person, and now you can really love God like you ought to. Love means to highly esteem, to hold dear, to cherish, to be very fond of, to earnestly care for, to delight in. What do you desire? What do you earnestly care for? What do you delight in? What are you fond of? What is it? You don't tell me, but think about it. What am I fond of? What am I attached to? What do I earnestly desire? There's probably some things we do earnestly desire and are fond of, and maybe a, a, a sport, a person, a material, a, um, you know, a food, an event, a game, um, a whatever. There's all kinds of things, right? A car. There's things we like. But what is it that we really, really love with all our heart, soul, and mind? It, it sh there should be nothing like that except God, and perhaps, I, I should say our relationship should have that too, you, where you love earnestly. But God should be, get the most. He should get the totality of our earnest desire, right? Yeah. Look, I'm not, I'm not preaching something that's foreign. It's right here. Jesus said, here's the thing we can elevate and put as paramount right here. So let's, let's explore this a little bit more. Um, there was a wife, she was, uh, went to counselor and, and um, her and her husband, and they said the, uh, they said, the counselor said, uh, you know, what, what is it that you love about your husband? And she was reflecting on different things, and she reflected on some things, and she started realizing, and she went back, and she uh, was looking at different things uh, that she had, like pictures, and she liked the pictures, and some letters that he had given, and and she was thinking about the nice car and vehicles that they had, and she was really loved that, and she was thinking, she was like, I really love this house, and and I really... Um, um, uh, in, in uh, the vacation that he, he's taken me on and just other provisions. And, he, and she told him this. She says, I like this, uh, the pictures and the letters and, the, and uh, the, uh, the, uh, he looks good in these clothes and the house he's given us and the vehicle and the provisions. I love these things of my husband. And the counselor said, but do you love the husband of those things? That's how we should be toward God. We like the things of God, a lot of us do. The things of God, the things that God gives. But we need to love the God of those things. Some of us like the, the, the words of God, the, the doctrines and commandments and exploring the Bible and, and you know, all that. And, and we, can, we can even get to where we are. We can have a sort of zeal for all the, the moral uh, commands of God and be really zealous of it, but we need, we don't just, and they should be tied together, but you don't want to just be where you're a person who is zealous and just merely has an empty love for the words and doctrines of God, but just, but the God of the doctrine, the God of those words, the commands of God and the God of the commands. See, you can be zealous and for the commands 
of God, but not always be zealous of the God of the commands. But if you love the God of the Word, you'll love the Word of God. You can't have that way. You can't love God without loving His Word. You can love His words, in a sense, without loving God. You can! There were some people in the Bible that did that. They were called Pharisees. They loved the words of God in some way, but it didn't seem like they loved the God of the Word. Just like keeping them. There's people who try to keep the commands of God but don't love them. But you can't truly love God without keeping His commands. If I really love God, the command, it's all going to fall in place. That's where Jesus is going with this. If I love God, keeping the commands are going to fall right in place. That's really where this is going. That, that, that's, the, that's the thing that Jesus amplifies before us today. Um, so let's, let's go into this a little bit more here. I read about, um, again, you, you've heard me say this, I'm fascinated by great accomplishments. I, I, I've never seen the, who's seen the Golden Gate Bridge? I mean, been on it like, or close to it. Okay, I want to go see it. Uh, it's almost 100 years old. Um, but I, I was fascinated when I read about it. I didn't realize it was built between World War I and World War II. Uh, the 19, from 1933 to 1937, it was built. At the time, it was the, it, it, at that time, I don't know who or what surpassed it. It was the tallest bridge and the longest bridge in the world at that time. It is still, even now, uh, considered one of the uh, wonders of the modern world, Golden, Bri Golden Gate Bridge. I never realized that. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, it's that dark red bridge out there in San Francisco. Maybe I'll see it one day. And then I started looking at how the guy that, his name was Joseph Strauss that, that designed it. He had some other designers and, and, and everything, architects, but he was the chief designer. In 1917, he designed this thing. Of course, it's bridging an area of South Bay to North Bay up there in San Francisco area. And um, uh, it's 1.7 miles long. And the longest span, span means unsuspended by something else touching the ground. The longest span is, is basically 0.8 miles where it's hovering above the water for almost a full mile, hovering above the water. Anybody get, okay, so who's gone on there and been nervous? Been nervous. Been a little nervous? Okay. No earthquakes now, please. You know, Peggy, I would be. Yeah. They have anti-suicide stuff on the side there. Where they, I don't know how they do that. Uh, but there's something, because people have tried to commit suicide off of that bridge. When I, when I saw the design, okay, so what I'm impressed with was this was done in the 30s. I mean, I think of the 30s like, man, those people put almost Stone Age back then. You know? How did they do that? But math class kids, physics class, you know, uh, they did their calculations and their all kinds of stuff. When they built that steel, they, I think it was hauled out here from Pennsylvania or something, a lot of it. And um, but I'm impressed. I thought, wow, what a great accomplishment. And it's still today even considered that. But then I think, wait a minute, God thinks, what does God think is great? What my heart does, what my heart treasures, that's what he says is great. That's the greatest, he says. So here's the question. We're going to answer this question for the rest of our time. What is so great about loving God? What's so great about that? 
And I think the text gives us that answer. What's so great about loving God? We see there's a great passion. It's because there's a great person. It involves a great portion of ourselves. And it has a great product or result to it. Those four reasons tell us why loving God is so great. Treasuring God. It deal, number one, we're dealing with a great passion. Love is a great thing. It's a great passion. It is the most praised virtue in the Bible. Love is. You know that? 1 Corinthians 13 says the greatest of these is charity. It's another word for love. To have love, a genuine love, a true love, not just like a surface affection puppy love, but a deep uh, a love and affection for somebody that's um, uh, unconditional is great. First Corinthians 13 says that love is the greatest virtue. First, First Timothy 1.5 says, Now the end of the commandment, that means the goal of doing God's commandments, is love, is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. 1 Timothy 1.5. Colossians 3.14, Paul had written some things to the Colossians about put off, put on, and, you know, be patient one with the other and be merciful. And then he says, above all these things, above all those things, put on charity, love, which is the bond of perfectness. To hold God dear, to highly esteem Him, is you're dealing with a great passion, love. People, isn't, isn't love important to people? Isn't it nice to be prized, to be loved, to be cherished? It is. I'd rather that than to be pushed off, ignored, or detested, right? It is to God, too. Number two, why is what's so great about loving God? It's directed to a great person. We're talking about loving the Lord. Look what it says. Thou shalt love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. What's so great about this great commandment? It's, it's because it's, it's directed toward a great person. You know, people start loving, um, <laughs> you know, they start loving a certain athlete. We have our favorite athletes. We could raise our hands. I like this guy. I like this guy. This quarterback, that quarterback, this center, this point guard. We love these certain athletes. And then you find out they do something really dumb. You're going, oh, why did they do that? Or, oh, I didn't know they were such a whoremonger, you know. Or, oh, I didn't know that guy beat his wife. You're like, oh, man, why did I like that guy so much? Some people, they still keep liking them anyways. But, you know, you ever get that where you really like somebody, a, a celebrity or a politician? Maybe some people are like that. And then they find out, oh, man. But who are we? who is our love directed towards? A great person, a sinless person, a perfect person, a person whom you would run out of uh, adjectives describing. Holy, 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 indescribable he is. This is talking about loving God versus just mere mortals. And we are to love one another, our neighbor as ourselves, as we'll see. But notice here, in loving this great person, this necessitates a personal relationship with him. Notice what it says, very simple thing. Verse 37, thou shalt love, shall love the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God with all thy heart. The language is not there by accident. If it said love the Lord your God, most of us would think, okay, it's probably talking individual. This is bearing a specific word underneath there that means individually. You love your God. The Lord thy God. It's, it's singular. 
here. This necessitates that a person would have a personal relationship with God. Um, you, can't lo- you can't give what you don't know. If I am going to love God and have pa- affection toward God, it's be- only because he first, I discovered that He first loved me. The best way to start loving God is to know His love and, and know Him as your personal Savior. F- hold your place here and go to First uh, John 4. All right, so let's look in 1 John 4. We'll look at verse 10, and then we'll look at verse 19. 1 John is, is basically before the book of Revelation. It's not the gospel of John. It's a smaller book. 1 John 4 and verse 10, and then we'll look at verse 19. 1 John 4, 10. It says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God, it's not that we initiated being the treasurers of God, showing the esteem of God in this two-person relationship. No, God initiated. Verse 19 says, we, look at verse 19. We love Him because He first, He was the protos. He was the one to, to first initiate this love us. Why do I love God? Because I just thought one day there must be a God out there and He's wonderful and I'm just going to let Him know I love Him. It's that He first loved us and we sense that. And His love kindled our, the love out of the dead soil of our heart and watered our soul. So He gets all the credit for all this stuff. When you love God and you can think, man, I love, there's no other Christians that love God like me. Don't do that. Don't be proud about loving God. He's the one who initiated you to love Him that way anyways. You love Him because He first loved you. What well, necessitates that a person have a personal relationship with God. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, whatever individual, would believe on Him will not have perished but have everlasting life. All right, so what is so great about this? A great passion, a great person. Number three, it demands a great portion of ourselves. Look at back there, chapter 22 of Matthew. What's it saying? What's Jesus teaching? There's a great portion of yourself that's demanded. You should love Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Now, it's kind of sometimes rephrased in other passages of Scripture, strength and mind and soul. You know what it's saying? It's saying the whole you. The whole you, body, soul, mind, your, all your capacities. It's okay to be a thinker in a Godward way. It's okay to think about God and try to figure out things in His Word and to pause how you can uh, better serve Him. That's loving Him with all your mind. It's okay to study. That's loving Him with all your mind. It's okay to get up and try to do something and work hard and, and serve God and, in His work, in His way, or in your own home, or do something in His name. and Exert your body for Him from the motive of, I love Him, that's why I'm trying hard. I love Him, that's why I'm working hard. I love Him, that's why I'm giving to somebody else. I love Him, that's why I want to make this thing nice. And it, because it's, we're told to love Him with all of our strength, all of our soul. He's worth exerting for. God's worth it. Um, 
And with all your heart, that's all your inside, all your passion, it's demanding a great portion of ourselves with all. It means fullness. It means being lavish, being extravagant, being entire versus part skimping. You know, kind of just give God a little, flick him a nickel and say, thanks, Lord. Not that type of stuff. It's like, give him all we got in whatever we do. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not making this stuff up. Giving him all of our attention. Think about this. What do you do with, what do you do for one you really love? I really love this person. What do you do? You know, um, you think about him a lot, him or her. You, you, you talk to that person often. If you really love somebody, you call them up. They're, they're, man, you got a lot of minutes on your phone from that person right there. There's a lot of text messages that go into that person. If you really love that person. Um, you do their bidding. The person that you really love, like, what do you want? What can I do for you? you know? And you're doing their bidding. And you, um, they're your bay before anyone else, they first. What do they want? What can I do with them? You brag about them. You talk to other people about that person. That's what you do for someone you really love. Other people are like, man, you're always talking about this girl, or you're in, you're always talking about this guy or your husband or whatever. That's ah, because I really love this person. Well, listen, that's that's we 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 can relate with that. You know, when you really love your spouse, when you really love uh, another person, even just friendships, a good friend. I've seen sometimes good guy friends, other guy friends are like, man, I like this guy. They're always bragging about it. or or girls in, in a clean, pure way. They, it's evident. You know, there's expressions. There's time spent. There's, um, there's, um, uh, it's, it's known to everybody else. These two people are friends and they love each other in a pure way. And so, wow, that, those, those, those uh, things should be known of me, that it's known that I, uh, that, I, that I love God and that I talk about Him and I seek Him and I think about Him and I, and, uh, I brag about Him and I, I gave them all. That's what Jesus is getting at. Do you see what Jesus is teaching us today? So it's a great portion of ourselves. He wants all of us. He wants all of us. Because if He gets all of us, He gets all of our heart, he gets, he get, if God gets us to treasure Him, which, by the way, it, it, let me just pause a second. That's why you should, reading the Bible is not all there is to life. It's not. There's so much. You've got to read it and then do it and all kinds of, there's life. To, but you know what? You'll know God more as you read it. You're like, wow, he's awesome. Whoa. It's like this. You, you read love letters. You read, you com, there's communication with somebody, talking with somebody, uh, communicating with your spouse as you get to know them more and familiarize yourself. It helps keep the love going and alive, and so with God, like ah, and you and you keep his knowledge of Him fresh, and and just and, and some of it new that you didn't know, and it and that, and that helps um, grow your love for Him. And I, I think I might speak about this another message, perhaps Lord willing, next Sunday along along these lines of how to keep. Do you know the Bible says keep yourselves in the love of God? Isn't that amazing? 
Your Bible, Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. That doesn't mean make sure God keeps loving you. It says, make sure you keep loving God. That's what it means. You can't make sure God keeps loving you. That's already set. So I think we might, we might explore that next week. But listen, since it demands a portion of me, so Jesus says, hey, you want to know what the paramount thing is, scribe? Love God with everything you got. That's the paramount thing. Everything you got. And then number four, it develops a great product. Notice what Jesus says. He quotes the second greatest command, which is to love your neighbor. And then the product is this, verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, this is the, all the law, accomplishing all the law and the prophets are, are born out of because I love God, whatever else he says, it, we're going to do it. Because I love mankind, Whatever God says about them, I'm going to observe it. Because I love God, whatever He says, I'm going to do it. Um, as, I, as I mentioned before, you can keep God's commandments without love, but you can't love Him without keeping His commandments. Somebody's like, Pastor, you just, you know, you talk about keeping commandments and all these commandments and these, the do's and da- just the, the list of do's and things you should do in the Christian life and by the way, list, if I ever have a list of do's, it should be out of the Bible. But sometimes people make fun of people because they, they preach the Bible commands or they say, here's what we need to do and this is what God says to do. And sometimes, you know, it's not all about do. It's not all about the commands. It's not all about that. You know, I, 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 I can understand that to a certain extent. People try to uh, say, you know, it's all, you just think it's all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. What are you, some kind of legalist? No, I, I, I just, you know, Jesus said, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. I guess he has some thous and shouts and thou shalt nots. But because I love him, that's not a big problem. Yeah. Deal with it. He can make a hundred more and I'll, because I love them, I'm going to find out what they are and do them. You see, don't, we shouldn't get hung up on, well, God has, forget about all that stuff. Listen to who God is. He made you. He redeemed you if you're saved. He loves you and you're saved forever. So whatever he says, man, just whatever it is, do it. It's no big deal because you love him, right? That's what it is. It's a great product. In other words, the, if we're, every, true, every true New Testament, I, I was thinking about this, the whole New Testament. This is church function stuff. Every true New Testament concern will be produced out of our church. We as Christians, we, we passionately love our Lord and Savior, and we just love people. If we do that and we have the New Testament to keep us in alignment, we'll be the church we ought to be. A man says to his wife, hey, sweetheart, I love you. I love you. He writes a nice, good Valentine. I love you, love you, love you. He has one of those goofy Valentine's cards. They have so many goofy spousal Valentine's cards. You know, I might be goofy. I might be weird. They should have all these different scenes of something, and then it's like, but I love you. You know, I have these weird Valentine's Day cards. I'm kind of getting tired of them. Sometimes I'm like, sweetheart, I didn't give this one to you before, did I? You know. <laughs> I need to go look in the file. I'm going to stop doing those goofy ones. But you know, a guy says, hey, I love you, honey. And then finally she says, I know, but how can I know? How, I mean, I know, but how can I know? And he says, 
I told you, didn't I? Isn't that enough? What's the answer? It's not enough. After a while, they want to see it. How do I know you love me? You keep saying it. You keep saying, how about show me some tokens of that? And the same with God. When, you know, when God know, you know, if we love God, it's going to come out. All the law and the prophets, all the other commands that he put on us, it'll, 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 it'll fall in place. What is great to you? What's great to you? What do you treasure? Who do you treasure? I'm just steering our thoughts towards what Jesus is saying today. Do you treasure Him? What describes your relationship with Him? With the Lord? I, oh, we'll close with this right here. I read about Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a pioneer missionary to China. I don't know if it was 17 or 1800s, can't remember. But he's a pioneer missionary to China from England, I believe it was. And um, he became, kind of started a thing called the China Inland Mission where they would send out other missionaries. And I'm going to read this to you. He often interviewed other missionaries that would go there to China that would want to be missionaries. And uh, they would come to his place and he would help prepare them and train them and send them out from there. Um, but he would in- interview other missionaries uh, for the, for the field there. On one occasion, I read that he met with a group of um, applicants and these potential missionaries. He was in this interview in each of them. And um, he asked them a question. He wanted to know what their motive was. And he said, why do you wish... He actually asked the whole group, but, but each individually as in, in a group. He asked them, why do you wish to be a foreign missionary? And um, one said, well, I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's why. And another said, I want to go because all these people, millions of people are perishing and dying, going to hell. And then some others gave a different answer, different answer, just kind of an array of answers. And then Hudson Taylor said, and he's the, now he has lived it. He's the, been the missionary there. He said, all of these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testing, trials, tribulation, and possible death. Yes, it will fail you. After a while, you're, not, you're, you're going to forget that you're there because you're burdened for them. After a while, you're going to, um, uh, the, the command to go might fade away in your mind. He says, all these things are good, but they will fail you during times of testing, trial, tribulation, possible death. There's but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely the love of Christ. Loving Christ. That's the motive that's going to sustain you. You know, sometimes you get to where it's like, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. I I don't like these people. I know I'm supposed to. That's the second one, but um, second command. But... What's really going to sustain you is, Lord, I love you. And what I'm doing now, this day, is going to be in response to the words you gave me. So I'm going to obey you today because I love you. I'm not real crazy about some of the stuff around me, but I love you. And that's the thing that helps sustain us in life. 
And that's the greatest motive. And that's the greatest thing you could do. And that's what Jesus said. This is paramount. And that's what we need. That's what we need. Let's thank the Lord for that.